Like Matt said, this week marks the uh, ending verses for Hebrews chapter uh, 11, like you know. Um, and he, is, he explained well. He, he discussed with us all the, the different people we've gone through. I have to admit I was a little bit um, happy when I got to listen to, well, we got the emails about who we were going through. Everybody else got people like uh, I don't know, Abel or Abraham. But then the email directly said that Joel gets to preach on Jesus. And as you know, that, that's pretty easy. <laughs> so I'm excited to be here. This is a good opportunity. I've never, um, I've never done this before, but gosh, it's exciting just to think on the opportunity to be able to preach God's word. And like Matt said, just expose it. Um, so if you have your Bibles, let's open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. And we'll read through the final two chapters of, of this summer. This is just the, basically, we're summarizing everything we've learned so far. We get to, uh, this is the end of it. Um, so look, look down and read with me. It says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So read through that again. It says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So the first phrase we see is uh, all of these, and that's pretty easy to do because Matt already introduced all the other, um, what that's speaking of is all the saints that we've talked about in the earlier verses of Hebrews 11. Um, It refers to the faithful saints, um, and it points to those who who were approved or received their commendation from God for their faith. Abraham, Moses, and the Israelites as a whole. Um, so what does it mean by though commended through their faith? Um, it kind of depends on what translation you're looking at here. Uh, ESV says, which is what I'm looking at, it says though commended through their faith. Um, uh, if you're looking at an NASB, it says they gained approval. Either way, what this is trying to point across is that um, the Old Testament saints gained their testimony of their faith in God by the things that they did. Their works spoke of the faith that they had in Christ, or in the coming Messiah, sorry. Um, So continuing, what what was this faith like that gave them testimonies before the Lord? Uh, First, their faith was based on future promises and not immediate fulfillment. We can see this just as we look back through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the number one I think of was, I think Noah taught on Moses. And um, you recall uh, just one of the very strong verses in there that spoke of this, um, of the way that Moses thought and thinking back to the, and thinking towards the reward and disregarding um, immediate fulfillments. Um, Look to verse 23 of chapter 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, and this is where I'm trying to explain it, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the, the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking toward the reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Um, so, as I said, their lives attested to the faith that they had in the coming Messiah. Um, looking back to verse 39, it says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. We need to answer the question, what was the promise? Um, and quite simply, it's just the promise of salvation, or the promise of the coming Messiah. Uh, these verses um, are speaking of the salvation that is brought to us by Jesus Christ. Uh, the prophets prophesied about the coming of Christ um, because it was a prof- uh, promise from God. But turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1.10, to the right. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So here we see, uh, just in the first phrase, concerning this salvation. This is the exact same thing we're talking about in Hebrews. Um, it explains that uh, the prophets prophesied before, I mean, this is before Christ had come, so they were speaking of the coming of Christ. Um, and just a note on this too, just notice how much the Old Testament saints were desiring, the prophets were desiring to see this coming Messiah. Um, Jesus said concerning their awaiting, uh, awaiting for the Messiah, he turns to the disciples and he says, in a private room, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And he's speaking of himself because he's the Messiah. Um, and he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. How good it is to be able to live in the time that you live, to, to witness the things that you get to witness. The prophets and the kings long to see and hear of Jesus' work. Continuing on to verse 40, notice the first thing that it it says after what we just looked at. Sorry, turn back over to Hebrews. He says, since God, or we could also say because God, we're now going to see why things are, were done this way by God. Why, basically, we're asking the question, we could ask the question, why didn't they receive the promise? what was promised, and it's not that God had let him down or didn't fulfill his promises, but this is what he had planned out from the beginning. The Messiah was to come, even through uh, attempts by the devil to, to stop it. Um, I have two uh, reasons for why, uh, this well, this verse explains two different reasons for um, Christ doing thing, the Lord doing these things this way. And why number one, um, sorry, let's go back. First, I want to explain who uh, we're talking about here. Um, when it says in verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, it's speaking of us being anybody after Christ. People who have seen the Messiah and understand that the Messiah had come uh, and look out back on it as historical fact. And then uh, they being the Old Testament 
faithful saints. Um, and like I said, two, two reasons for why the Lord did things this way. Why number one was that so the saints, um, before the coming of Christ, were tested. Uh, their faith was being tested by not being able to directly see the coming of Christ. They had to wait and, a lot, wait, um, and count that God was going to fulfill his promise. They had faith in that. And then why number two? Because God, and it says directly in the verse, because God had provided something better for us. Us referring to anyone uh, after the coming of Christ. And just to think on the phrase, uh, something better, Christ, um, the entire book of Hebrews is focused on this one truth that, and trying to show us that Christ is better than the old covenant, um, better uh, than any, really just anything. Uh, Hebrews 7.22 says, so much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And we're mainly we're comparing it against the old, old covenant, Old Testament covenants. Hebrews 8.6, but now he has obtained more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Hebrews 7.19 says, for the, um, speaking about the law, for the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand, there is a bringing of a, in of a better hope, being Christ, through which we draw near to God. God has established a better covenant than the one before. Third, let's, uh, let's look at what he means by being made perfect. I think this is kind of a, an exciting part, I think. What does it, how do, should we understand this to, what does he mean by being made perfect? No salvation was complete in time, until the time of Christianity, meaning the time, until Christ had come, no faith was complete. Um, if we think back, even everybody we've studied in Hebrews 11, their faith was not made complete until Christ had come. No matter how strong the faith of an individual, their faith was not complete until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Being made perfect means that Christ is the perfect Messiah, perfect Messiah that redeems us from our sin. He's the propitiation for our sins, and he has swallowed up God's anger. Um, Romans 3.25 says, Whom God displayed, publicly speaking of Christ, whom God displayed publicly as the propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Apart from the covenant we have between ourselves and Christ's salvation, they could not be made perfect, speaking of the Old Testament saints. Just as an additional note, Faith is a necessary part of salvation. I, I kind of, to turn this around, it says that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We, who have understood and seen the coming of Christ, um, but in the same way for us, we can turn that around and see if we don't have faith in Christ, um, then we, <laughs> we, we aren't made perfect. There's no perfection without faith in Christ. 
Um, in the same way the Old Testament saints' faith was incomplete without Christ, our salvation is incomplete without faith in Christ. Christ must be followed in faith, which means we must do as he says. We obey his commands willingly. So in summary of these two verses, uh, I have two points I would like just to draw, um, draw out. First, though the Old Testament saints did not receive the promised Messiah during their time, they believed the word of God and lived in faith of a coming Redeemer. The faith of the Old Testament saints was based on what was to come, which differs from us who understand what has been done. We look back on it as historical fact. Their faith was based on the promise. Ours is based on historical fact. It's intriguing to think about the genuineness of their faith being so evident. Even though they hadn't seen, the, seen Christ, um, even though they um, could simply just understand a glimpse, understand that there's a coming Messiah that would bring salvation for them, they still weren't second-rate believers. They, they still lived in faith of God's promise, promises. They disregarded immediate fulfillments and waited eagerly for the coming of the Messiah. John 20, 29 says, Blessed is he who did not see and yet believe, but now you see. You understand that Christ has come and you can well, you, I'm speaking of you, <laughs> um, understand that Christ has come and you can even read it in your own Bible. They couldn't do that. And then number two, faith in Christ is 100% necessary for complete salvation. You can't take the two apart. The Old Testament believers' faith was incomplete um, without Christ. And so we, our lives are, um, salvation is incomplete without faith in Christ. If Christ is not faithfully believed as believed for salvation, then salvation is incomplete. If one fails to believe him as Messiah, the promised salvation, they are still in their sins and without anything to shield them from God's coming wrath. Christ and faith must be one with the other. Disregard faith in Christ, your salvation is incomplete. So now I ask you, does that make you uncomfortable in thinking about just the character of the Old Testament saints' faith? The, the fact that they weren't second-rate believers even though they hadn't seen what we understand, what we can understand now. The fruit of their faith was great, yet they had not seen what you know as fact. John MacArthur wrote concerning this, how much less faith do we often have in spite of our great light? So, to finish there, I think, would just be incomplete. So, we, we're going to move into chapter 12 because, well, for, mainly just because there's a therefore. This is what everything is going to lead us into. We can't stop there and, and not do something about it. Um, we need, need, need these verses because we, that we're about to follow. Our culture can be full of distractions, sink and keep... Keep us from following Christ holy. So look, look into chapter 12, verse 1. We'll just do the first two verses. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Scripture is filled with many different figures of speech. Um, and these are, these are good because this is, this is effective teaching. Uh, we can see it throughout, all, especially the New Testament. There are time and time again are, um, given examples of different things that uh, just help us understand what the Lord is trying to communicate. First um, Peter 2.2 says, Concerning our need of God's word, saying, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Second Timothy 2.3 says, We are counseled, well, we were in Second Timothy 2.3, we are counseled to endure hardship like a good soldier. When Paul says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.11 says, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9.26, he uses boxing as an example for the way we should discipline ourselves towards godliness. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. So in multiple spots of scriptures, we are told to live as foreigners in the world, understanding that our lives are not to be focused around life in this world, but focused around God's kingdom. Even frequent examples of Paul describing himself as a slave can be a figure to us just to think about and think of ourselves as, too. And this is exactly what is happening here. Um, there are two different pictures that we are given in this passage. First, we are given the picture of being surrounded by the, the faithful people who have come before us. Everybody in Hebrews 11. Um, it says we are surrounded by... The, or, and then second, we are given the picture of our life on earth as a race or a marathon that we are competing in. First, we'll look at we are surrounded. Uh, it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Um, let that picture settle into your mind for a second. Um, if you could imagine uh, the saints of old in this room uh, standing in a circle around us thinking about us. And there's something to be, one word to be said here too is we, have, we need to be careful when we approach um, passages like this and not uh, draw poor theology from it. And, uh, it's not as though, at least I don't think this believe that this passage is saying that they are literally standing above us, watching us. But it's, this passage is meant to encourage us and to help spur us on. So if you can imagine just these Old Testament saints, and I, I like to think of it as a marathon, or a, a baton race, or a, a relay, because uh, it brings that idea that when you are handed a baton, you're not... Um, you have this encouragement to run faster just because you know your teammates are relying on you. Um, continue, continuing to grow the picture, we are told to lay aside every weight and sin which, so, uh, which clings so closely. Um, so I have the question here, what is a weight? It's such a bad question, but... Um, it's simply a bulker mass. Uh, yeah, you got that. In <laughs> um, Bozeman especially, I can, I can recall multiple times where I, there's one specific time I know a guy, and we were driving. Um, 
make sure he's not here. <laughs> I won't use his name. And we were just driving around town, and my friend next to me had, had spotted a guy, and his shorts were really short. Um, just no shirt, this headband just looked ridiculous, but it was good. <laughs> um, but in the same way, it's amazing how athletes um, tend to view ass as just completely uh, bad. Um, and that's, in fact, they tend to wear the least amount of clothes that decently allows. So we can ask the question, what are these weights that, that Hebrews, this Hebrews chapter 12 is talking about? Um, John MacArthur had the most insight on this in saying, uh, we don't know exactly what the preacher had in mind in these statements, but uh, we can draw some, some ideas. Perhaps Jewish legalism, which honestly I think best fits the context of Hebrews. Um, Christians were returning to their lives as Jews once again instead of continuing, continuing in belief that Christ was, has established a new covenant. They were turning back to their old Jewish practices. Um, and, and to note there that the practices that had a lot of things, some of them, not all of them, but were things ordained by God. They weren't bad of, in and of themselves, just much like weight isn't bad unless you're trying to run a marathon. Um, none of these Jew, Jewish practices uh, were any, of any value in the race. Uh, they were weights to the believer in Christ. Um, and I think of here, just did, Christ, did not Christ say, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Christ removed the weight of the law off of the shoulders of the believer. Let's turn in our Bibles to back into Galatians 2. Looking in verse 19, it says, For though... For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." Um, first, notice in verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live. Um, he, the law convicts and puts us to death. It shows us that by in, in sin um, that we cannot meet the standards necessary to, uh, to be righteous. Um, and then second, Paul announces his faith in Christ. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's jump down to chapter 3. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So this is just an example of, of something that uh, could have been happening in the, the Hebrew church. They had come to Christ, and, and actually, in fact, that um, there's possibilities that these people were, the Christians and Hebrews, were even people who had witnessed Christ, who had seen Christ heal, 
but they were returning back to their old practices. Um, which is why he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, was it not before Christ, before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified? And then skip down to verse 10 to take the point even further. For all, he says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is every, be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. These, the Hebrews, it's possible that these Hebrews were putting back on the weights of the law. Um, but continuing, the, the interpretation is left for us to fill. Um, you can ask yourself the question, what weights are holding you down um, from following Christ wholeheartedly? And then second, even just differentiating he, from just weights, he says, um, oh, sorry, turn back to Hebrews 11. Did it again. He says, we already discussed weight. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Uh, be aware, well, this is something that, that you see, you'll see. Uh, he uses the uh, sin as a singular. He's speaking of one specific sin. So then we can ask the question, what, what's the sin he, talk, he's, he is talking about? I, sub I submit to you that it's probably unbelief, especially looking back at the entire verses, all of the verses that we've already covered, um, unbelief is as much a sin as anything else. Um, doubt, and and doubt and faithfulness do not mix. We are one or the other. Um, I think especially in evangelical circles, we can tend to uh, be a little bit afraid to say that we're, um, to admit that we are, Doubting, or not doubting is the right, not the right word, but um, not living in faithfulness. Uh, I think, we, but in reality, this is real sin that we must wage war against. Um, and just to continue on to, I don't think we should limit it to that. I think unbelief uh, is the beginning of the, a lot of other sins. Um, whether it be pornography, lust, anger, jealousy, or hatred, Dis um, not believing in God or his, uh, what he has done for us uh, can lead to those other sins. Um, also to note, he says, clings so closely, and depending on what translation you have, that'll um, be different too, or easily entangles. So sin easily entangles. There's this sin clings, uh, clings close to us. Um, something that probably that was not any different for any Old Testament believers. Uh, all uh, had to face this, and every one of us um, needs to understand that this is easy to, to be entangled in. Once we begin into it, um, it gets harder and harder to get out of it. Um, so continuing on, he says, looking, or let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Um, so running with endurance, this is a steady determination to keep on running. Our faith and our lives should be lived with steady determination to serve our Father and continue in the faith that the prophets had, and fathers had done before us. 
This is very important in the context of Hebrews. Many of the Hebrew Christians had started out running well before the Lord. Their excitement for the Lord drove them to be uh, good Christians. Hebrews 2.4, and like I mentioned before, some of these people had even had the opportunity to see Christ uh, heal people. I mean, these, these are amazing signs that you would think would, I mean, if I just saw this, then I would believe in the Lord. Um, that wasn't the case. These people even still struggled with unfaithfulness. Um, according, but in the, keeping with the endurance, um, with the Hebrew Christians um, under persecution began to say, decide that let's, let's go back to Judaism in a sense. Um, serving Christ is getting us persecuted. Why are we here? So let's go back to Judaism where we weren't. And they became weak and they began to wander off the track. Um, I have uh, two different ways that we can run. We can either start out in a full sprint then tire out, slow down, or give up and, or collapse. But keep in mind that the Lord isn't looking for short, spurt Christians. He is looking for people who will run steadfast through the hard parts of the race. There will be trials and pains, cramps and sprains, but remember the encouragement, which is what we, we push into right now. In verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. First, let's look at looking, at, looking to Jesus. Uh, when an athlete is running, it makes a big difference on, on where you're looking. Um, staring at the stands while you run uh, can throw you way off course, probably get you hurt. Uh, checking out your new shoes can really put you on your face. And it's definitely important that you don't turn your head and look at who is coming behind you. Um, there are... Um, just taking that and applying it to ourselves. What are some things that, um, that we focus on? I have two main examples. Uh, we are meant not only, well, we are not meant to only focus on those that are around us, meaning the Old Testament. I'm speaking right now of the Old Testament prophets and the um, faithful men of old. Even just looking in and setting our eyes on them doesn't completely uh, fit. It doesn't completely work for us because um, they were still sinners. They were still um, not perfect. Um, and number two, we have, we should not become preoccupied with ourselves and we should not run looking uh, to just thinking about our own mechanics or, yeah, or statistics. Too much focus on the mechanics. Um, causes us not to focus on our, our um, task at hand in much the same way if, if a Christian is so concerned about how everything that's going on in their life and they fail to just look to Jesus and uh, to let the Lord um, show him. Um, and then being too preoccupied with self um, is certainly a problem you, that we can have. Um, it does not allow us to serve Christ well. We're, we're, we stumble when we simply just look to ourselves and we aren't able to focus on Christ. Instead, what Hebrews 12 tells us is we are to focus on the founder and perfecter of our faith. Founder, 
being he is the pioneer, the originator of all the Old Testament saints' faith. He was before Abraham. In 1 Corinthians 10 discusses concerning the Old Testament saints saying they all drank from the same spiritual drink. They all were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ was before uh, even the Old Testament saints. Uh, we are, and it's just kind of a, a good thought to be able to think that, you, that we're told to focus on the one who originated our faith um, and not the ones who just had faith. Founder, and then founder can also mean that he is the chief leader. He leads in faith above all others, especially the Old Testament saints. Um, Christ exceeds all other examples of faith. Listen to a, a, um, as I list a few reasons why it says he's the perfecter of our faith. In Hebrews 4.15 it says he was um, tempted in all things yet without sin. Christ exceeded all others in concerns towards temptation. He was tempted just like us, yet without sin. Christ's own words, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus submitted perfectly to the lordship of the Father. Um, finally, let's end with the reasons for Christ's perfect grace. Um, looking at your, your scripture, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. First here we see that the characteristics of Christ's race, first here we see the characteristics of Christ's race. Christ's race. This is how he ran. It says that he ran for the joy that is set before him, what was the joy that was set before him? First, Jesus ran for the joy of receiving exaltation from his, his Father. In John 17, 4-5, Jesus prays to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave to me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Next, we see another characteristic of his race. It says in verse 2, he despised the shame. You can ask, what was the shame? What is he saying? What the author saying here? Um, crucifixion, God's wrath, and bearing our sin. Um, he endured all of this because of his unending dedication to following the Lord's will. And because he understood the rewards that the Lord had in store for him, even something as shameful as the cross and crucifixion was not enough to remove his joy of obeying his Father's commands. Finally, the verse concludes saying that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. First, think about his posture here. He is seated. Everything is finished. Um, the victory is won. There's nothing to be, for him to be worried about. He's not pacing around. Um, and Jesus received the reward of his faithfulness. And the Lord has seated him in honor. So in conclusion... I'd like to, us to uh, turn to 2 Timothy 4.7. Turn back.
2 Timothy 4.7. Just, just in conclusion, we are with the entire chapter 11 in these final verses. We are being called to change what our focuses are. We are being called to change the things that we value the most. Even through persecution, we must learn to live in anticipation for a heavenly reward, which isn't going to fade away. 2 Timothy 4.7. In closing, I just hope that this is, these are verses that we repeat um, even as we end our own race. Um, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to you, to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the way it convicts, for the way, for just the opportunity even just to learn these past couple days, to study your word. I ask, Lord, that you would be helping us, growing us into your word, teaching us to um, lay aside the weights and sins, Lord, so that we can follow you correctly. Lord, grow us in faith towards you. I thank you, Lord, for your son, for just the, the gift that he has brought, the fact that he's brought perfection to us. That, Lord, we are, can stand before you without sin. I ask, Lord, that you would just help us implement these things into our lives to grow in our faithfulness towards you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.